Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hot Shot Wake Up. This is your weekly wildfire update. We'll cover everything operationally that's going on in the nation and the main news points that have come out in the last week. Right now, for your operational update, nationally, it's a PL2. I wouldn't be surprised to see that sneak up here in a week or so just by what everybody else or all the other regions have started doing. So again, nationally, a PL2, Alaska just moved up to a PL2. The Southwest all the way up to a PL5 now. They had eight new starts in that region in the last 24 hours. The state of Texas, so not the feds, but the state of Texas has increased their planning level to a PL5. And that's because of all of the wildfires that are happening there. Crazy, crazy winds down in Texas. Very underreported because there's not a lot of federal land in Texas. In Texas, it's mostly private property and some state land. But the feds don't control a lot of land in Texas. And that's historical. That goes back a very long way. The Rocky Mountain area is now at a PL2 and the southern area is still at a PL2. I wouldn't be surprised with Texas that that southern area wouldn't bump up as well. And that's when I think we would see nationally everything kind of increase. We'll start with the big fire, get it out of the way. The Calf Canyon fire now has four teams managing the fire. This is craziness, but that's what they got going on. So what's happening down there is... There is a Southwest Team 1, which is a Type 1 team managing a zone. There's a California Team 5, which is a Type 1 team managing a zone down there. There's California Team 2, which is a Type 1 team also managing another zone down there. And then there is a Type 2 team from the Southwest area, that's Southwest Team 3, that has also joined in managing that fire. Right now, the Calf Canyon slash Hermit's Peak is 303,341 acres. There's 2,169 people on the fire, and they're saying it's 34% contained. As of recording this, they are still saying there is extreme crowning and torching in the south zone and the east zone of this fire. There's still all sorts of evacuation notices and evacuations in place. And even though it's 34% contained, there are areas on this fire that are still very, very active. For Friday's weather on this fire, they're saying it's going to be red flag warnings basically all day long. There's going to be 40 mile an hour southwest winds and a relative humidity of 7 to 12%. So going into the weekend, this thing looks like it still has quite a bit of potential for growth and spotting and for causing all sorts of headaches as it continues to try to just chunk away. They're reporting that 635 structures have been lost on this fire and the current cost is around 88.5 million. The black fire in the Gila National Forest, also in New Mexico, has just been eating up ground for a couple days now. It's 90,014 acres. And that was from an early morning infrared flight. Some people still have it at 77,000 acres, but the most recent infrared flight put it at 90,014 acres. The fire is 0% contained. It's in a wilderness area. 
within the Gila National Forest, but also on forest land that isn't a wilderness area. There are 450 people currently on the fire, and the cause and the start of this fire is still under investigation. I know a few crews came off the Cerro Pelado fire and headed over that direction once they started wrapping that up. And some others went to the bear trap. But on the black fire, they're saying that the fire is still active on all flanks and the country that it's in. We've discussed it before. The Gila National Forest is, it's rugged, rugged ground and just real tough country to be working in. Uh, During the next couple shifts, firefighters are going to be focused on constructing direct and indirect control lines. Uh, using point protection tactics to protect private property, and they're going to conduct firing operations where needed. Uh, This fire is currently at $3.4 million in cost, and I'm sure that will increase as time goes on. This is in an area where historically they do have a lot of fire use and uh, where they just kind of let fires burn, especially in these wilderness areas. So there's not a whole lot of private property or values at risk. So there isn't that massive scramble to try to stop it on the closest road to the to the flanks that are burning. And they have a little bit more leeway on how they're going to handle this suppression. Obviously, they're taking all precautions when it comes to the structures and there are some ranches in the area and they're taking appropriate action on those, but they're just trying to find the best areas where they can get a successful corral of this fire and increase their chances of a positive outcome. A couple fires in Colorado, most recently was the Plum Taw Fire. Had a couple Substack subscribers who lived in the area and sent me phenomenal footage of what was going on there. One of them actually just had a newborn that morning. His wife had given birth, and by the afternoon, he was loading up the pets and trying to evacuate their home. So just a crazy day for this guy. Right now, the Plumta is nearing 1,000 acres, not quite there yet, and it's in the San Juan National Forest near Pagosa Springs, Colorado. It started on May 17th and is currently 0% contained. The cost is at $1.1 million, but that's going to grow. And this fire surprisingly moved very, very quick in the afternoon to late afternoon hours. And then RH recovery at night kind of slowed the thing down. And that fire is at 7,200 feet. So in Colorado at 7,200 feet, Fires are going almost 1,000 acres in 10 hours. There's 184 people on that fire, and the cause is under investigation. Also in Colorado was the High, excuse me, the High Park Fire. This fire was closer to Durango. It came in at 1,573 acres and is 87% contained. So they pretty much have that one wrapped up. There are 367 people on that fire. And even crazier is that fire is at 9,500 feet, 9,500 feet. So again, in Colorado, at 9,500 feet, they're having fires go 1,600 acres before RHs come up and slow down that progression. 
as a whole in Colorado, they are expecting some cooler weather to hit this weekend and some precipitation, but I think it's going to have to be significant wetting rain or even some snowfall to do some damage on the moisture levels in these fuels that are on the ground right now that at 9,500 feet are going 1,600 acres in an afternoon. Uh, That fire is also under investigation and has a cost of $3.3 million. Moving down south to Texas, again, it's an underreported area because of just how much private and state land there is and not so much federal land. And you could teach a whole history lesson on why that is, but talking about the fires that are down there, the Mesquite Heat Fire... Very active wildfire at 9,613 acres and has 5% containment. They're saying five structures have already been lost. The winds in Texas the last 48 hours have been ridiculous. If you see any of the footage that's coming out of these things or just look at the weather reports, it's just strong, strong winds blowing all day long. Because of this fire and another fire we're about to talk about, the state of Texas went into a PL5 or a planning level 5. And there is the Southern Area Type 2 team named the Gold Team, which is responding to the Mesquite Heat Fire to take that over. Uh, This fire did start on private land. They had it up to 10% containment when it was at 5,000 acres. And then the fire jumped Highway 277 and then they dropped containment to zero and tried to start picking up the pieces. Now that a little time has passed, they're now calling it again 5% contained and trying to get a handle on it. Right now, surprisingly, there's only 24 people reported on that fire. I know there's a lot of volunteer people on that fire as well, lots of ranch owners working, uh, but they are saying that officially there's only 24 people working that fire. Also in Texas, they had the Coconut Fire, and that blew up to 25,000 acres in a very, very short period of time, still growing. They're saying that that fire is also 5% contained, very, very active, something you don't want to be out in front of. Again, the winds in Texas have been absolutely ridiculous. And they're saying that fire has 60 people working it. A fire that kind of caught a lot of people off guard was the Blue Lakes fire in Michigan. That was a couple days ago, and it went 2,516 acres in a very short period of time. In a 24-hour period, this thing just blew out 2,500 acres all the way up in Michigan. And that's a very, very large fire for this time in spring for that area of the country. Uh, They did get it fully contained. There was some precip that came in the day after this happened, and they're calling this thing wrapped up. And the local news media is just warning all the residents that, hey, once things dry out again, we might be in for it up here in Michigan. I know Wisconsin is doing some prescribed burns right now, trying to get what they can in and what work they can do done before they have their wildfire season, which if you look at the reports, it's coming to them. Lastly, we will cover the fire that was in New Hampshire. It's the Bemis or Bemis fire. That fire is under investigation. There's a lot of news reports saying that it was lightning caused, 
But the New Hampshire DNR and Forestry Department came out and said, no, 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 no. There was lightning in the area after the fire started, and firefighters had to evacuate the fire area because of that lightning. But these fires, we don't believe, were caused by that storm. We believe that perhaps these were human-caused fires. It caught a lot of people off guard. New Hampshire's not seen 100-plus acre fires this time of year either. And if they are, it's not as active as these ones were. And that whole thing is still under investigation. That fire is getting wrapped up and taken care of. Very, very busy around the nation. The fires I didn't mention, the Crooks and Tunnel and Cerro Pelado, those fires are basically getting wrapped up. They're not all 100% contained, but... Most of the hotshot crews on those fires are getting demobbed and being replaced on different incidents. So busy all around. Hey, thanks again to all of our paid subscribers to our Substack. We're 100% ad-free in everything we do, all of our social media, all of our podcasts, all of our newsletters. And again, we couldn't do it without you. If you'd like to support firefighter donations to injured firefighters or their families that are in need, you can go to our Substack, the Hotshot Wake Up Substack, and it's just $6. The subscriptions go towards those donations and charities and also support the content that we put out almost on a daily basis. So thanks again to all the folks out there that support what we do here. I have traveled this year over all the United States. Through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains, and the Catskills, the Rockies and the Bitterroot Mountains, the Cascades, the Coast Range, and the Sierras. There was news earlier this week that an individual from Elko Hell Attack had gone missing. This individual was Patrick Gladix, and he worked for Elko Hell Attack and was a helicopter manager. He had been heading to the southwest area for an assignment down there, a helicopter manager assignment, and a couple days after he left for this assignment, he was reported missing. After they put out the missing persons report, they, the Sierra Vista Police Department down in Arizona said that they had found his government vehicle in a Walmart parking lot. The police said that they looked at surveillance footage, and what they found was the vehicle had been parked in the Walmart parking lot, and Patrick Gladix had been seen walking away from the vehicle out of the Walmart parking lot back into kind of a desert trail area. So that's where the police decided to focus their search. Uh, they involved a air rescue helicopter to help them with this search, and two days after he was reported missing, they found his body in this area behind the Walmart in this desert trail area. As of right now, this whole thing is still under investigation. There's all sorts of people asking me what, what happened, what are the details. I just don't have those. I'm, I'm sure we'll get a report when that report comes out. You know, the heart goes out to his family and all of the friends and co-workers. When I saw his picture, I recognized him. I have worked with this individual before. I don't know him. 
I, I, I wouldn't say that I know him, but I have worked on fires with him when I was in Region 4 doing work there and had either seen him at briefings or when I worked with helicopters. Occasionally, he was the go-to guy because Elko Hell Attack is very busy in that region. There's a lot of rumors going around, or I shouldn't say rumors. There are, there's speculation, which of course is human nature and people are going to do that when something like this happens. You know, people hit me up and they're like, well, we, we all park in the Walmart parking lot and go for PT runs in the morning. Maybe that's what was going on. Or, hey, there's a lot of, you know, I've received numerous messages of, hey, you know about Sierra Vista. It's a border city. There's a lot of cartel activity down there. You don't really want to be messing around in the desert in fed clothing when it's still dark outside in the in the wee hours of the morning. Yes, these things are all true, but we don't know what happened. We just don't. So I'm going to withhold any of that speculation until the report comes out. I did have some people reach out to me who said they did know this individual, Patrick, and I asked them if he seemed like he was okay. Like, did he, did he seem like he was okay? And they said yes, but a few of them said that they hadn't talked to him in a few months, so it had been a while. You know, since the fire season started, they hadn't really talked to him, and they couldn't really say for sure. But again, I want to stress that this is the reason that every time I I have these conversations, that it's it's important to stay in touch with your homies, to the people that you work with, the people that you know, and try not to let it go too long without talking to, to the people you care about, because you just never know. You never know what's going on from the day to day. A lot can change in a 24-hour period. Just look at the fire environment, how much can change in a 24-hour period. So in the human environment, that same thing can ring true. It's it's sad. It's very sad that these things happen and unfortunate. There was an incident, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but there was a hotshot in California that went missing, and that ended up being self-inflicted in that story. And again, it was an individual who had just had too much and couldn't take it anymore. I'm not saying that this is what happened in this scenario, but it just reaffirms that whether you're a guy or a gal and you have that alpha mentality, there is a breaking point for people. And that's why I stress that we need to ask each other, you know, hey, how you doing? Are things good? That much goes such a long way when it comes to people that are struggling. Once the report comes out, I'm, I'll, I'll read it and I'll pass along what did happen in this situation with Patrick. But until then, again, prayers to the friends and family. And it's just got to be a really tough time for something like that. I, I can't imagine having a loved one say, I'm headed off for a fire roll and then fall off the map and have the dispatch and overhead supervisors of these individuals reach out and say hey have you talked have you talked to your loved one they didn't show up for duty and that i'm sure is would cause anyone to be a wreck cuz you don't know exactly what's going on so again everyone in our thoughts if the family asks for or someone asks for any sort of financial support, we will 
definitely reach out and take our community's donations and put that towards that cause. And I'm sure everybody would agree that that's a good place for those funds. So again, hey, we're in this together. Remember, everybody is human. We all have off days. And if that isn't the case with this scenario, it's still a tragedy because nothing like this should ever have to happen. We always think we're going to lose someone to the fire or in a car crash or by a tree. And never like this when you're on a fire assignment. So keep them in your thoughts and ask those that you care about how they're doing and try to make that a priority going forward. I have traveled this year over all the United States, through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains, and the Catskills, the Rockies and the Bitterroot Mountains, the Cascades, the Coast Range, and the Sierras. There was a news article this week that was shotgunned out everywhere. An article when it first came out that you couldn't get away from. So the New York Times wrote a bit on it. The Washington Post wrote a bit on it. And then all of the regional newspapers picked it up. And then everybody picked it up. It seemed like, again, I've spoke about this before, but it seemed like there was bot accounts that were just shotgunning this article out everywhere. So, of course, if that's actually happening, I have to read it to see what's going on. And what it was, was a new study that showed half of the United States households were at risk to wildfire. And how they came about this, it was a nonprofit group called First Street Foundation that conducted this study and put a bunch of interactive maps together. And so if you go to this site that they've created, you can enter in an address in a search bar, and then their algorithm from their numbers that they and their data that they put together for this study will tell you if that address has risk to wildfire. And ultimately, what they found in their numbers was that half of the United States households were at risk of wildfire. They're saying that Utah has the most homes per capita at risk for wildfire, but overall Florida, Texas, and California are most have the most homes at risk. Now you start reading through this article and you're like, okay, this is an interesting product that they put together. I see the value in this, especially if it's functional and works and it's not just a scare tactic for people. But then you start getting into the meat of the article where most people stop reading and they start talking about flood insurance. And what they say is that in the United States, the federal government has maps and data points for flood risk in America. And if you have a 1% or greater risk of your property being flooded off of these maps, it's mandatory that you get flood insurance. So proponents of this new study... I couldn't find who funded this study, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was insurance companies. What they were saying is that there's so many homes in the United States that have at least 1% risk of wildfire that maybe we should start talking about how wildfire insurance should be mandatory. 
Sure, yeah. If if you want to get wildfire insurance, you should. But this study started to take a little turn on me to where I was like, this sounds like this sounds like it was funded by insurance companies. So they interviewed some politicians and advocates of this study, and they used some choice language that kind of raised some eyebrows. And they were saying that we shouldn't, and in quotes, we shouldn't let people. We shouldn't let people live in these areas determined by these maps if they remain ignorant to the dangers of wildfire. So they're saying anywhere on this map where there is a 1% risk of wildfire, that we shouldn't let people live there unless we can take their ignorance away. Now, there are a ton of people who are ignorant to the dangers of wildfire. That's a given. But there's people who are ignorant to a lot of things. People who don't wear seatbelts. There's people who still slam a cell phone up to their head instead of using headphones, non-Bluetooth headphones, even though there's been thousands of studies saying that it will give you brain cancer over time. What I'm saying is there are people who are ignorant of a lot of things, but they're not going around saying we shouldn't let these people use cell phones or the people who don't wear seatbelts still or take them off, don't wear them. We don't say that they, we should revoke all of their driving privileges and let them not own vehicles. They're just ignorant people that could get hurt by their personal decisions. The advocates that they were interviewing, some from Montana, some from California, a couple from Florida, were saying that it's too late to have the public learn about these things. And the route they wanted to go was taking this information and making politicians and policymakers in charge of it and have them make the determination on if this all should be mandatory and what the regulations should be for people who are moving into these areas. Now, the study went on to say that, you know, if you look 30 years down the line, you're going to see a 50% increase in homes that are in danger by wildfire. Saying things like, Wyoming and Montana are seeing such growth from California, the Seattle and the Portland areas that with this influx of people into the area, it's just a disaster waiting to happen. I don't disagree with that, but mandatory anything, it just won't solve that problem. Let's not even have the argument on whether mandatory should or should not be. What I'll say is it won't, it's just not going to solve the problem. Now, Wildfire Today did a quick blurb on this, and, and they typed in actual addresses to this map system and this algorithm. And they chose addresses that were just totally and completely nuked out by the coastal fire in California. Now, if you're unaware, the coastal fire was a very fast-moving, short-lived fire and it burned up out of a bowl, an overgrown bowl in a drought-stricken area and blew through a neighborhood and, and, and ate up a lot of homes. So they took addresses from this neighborhood and plugged it into the system. And the system created by this First Street Foundation gave those homes a 3 out of 10 risk rating. So fairly low rating. And... That whole neighborhood was just destroyed by wildfire. So, one, is the data that they have accurate? Two, if it's not accurate, should we even consider using it? Three, 
I'm going to keep digging, but I need to find out who funded this study because four paragraphs in, they start talking about insurance companies and how it would be needed for all these new millions and millions and millions of insurance policies to be created. And lastly, what I saw, I did a podcast over a month ago now when the United Nations came out with their worldwide wildfire policy that they wanted all of these governmental organizations around the globe to sign on to. And I won't go through all of that again. I, I spent almost a half an hour on it on an earlier episode. But this study kind of pushes what that worldwide wildfire policy was pushing as well, which ultimately is less people living in rural areas because it's too dangerous. And if you want to live out there, there's a tax, like you have to tax the hell out of people for the right, in quotes, for the right to live in these rural areas. And since I see all this stuff, because I'm reading all of these articles and staying very well on top of what even worldwide wildfire policy is, you see the similarities in these studies and these decrees and these policies that are being put out, a lot funded by the same people. And if you look at who heads the boards and organizations of these foundations, they, they are interlinked. There's a lot of interlinking of these individuals as well. So you just have to take that, you know, into account when you're looking at all this stuff. But if Bill Gabbert is putting in addresses of a neighborhood that just got nuked out by wildfire and you get a three out of 10 danger rating, that tells me that their algorithm or artificial intelligence data crunching is a, is a little bit off. Again, this was an article that seemed like bots were putting everywhere. It was retweeted and sent and emailed everywhere. It was ridiculous. But then you read through it and then you visit the site and then you watch others try to use it and you start scratching your head. And then you see similar similarities to a global wildfire policy and what action should be taken in rural areas. And then you have to take it with even more of a grain of salt. But I find it very, very interesting. They're going to keep pushing this because, number one, there's money in it. They're, wherever the money is, you got to follow that. That's why I stress how much these fires cost because I want people to understand how much money is involved in the wildfire world. It's There's so much cash involved in all of this. But then again, they can't find enough in a budget to increase wages and benefits for firefighters. Makes you wonder. Another quick point, and then I'll end this segment. We've sent more money over to the Ukraine in the last few months than has been spent or allocated to the Forest Service and Bureau of Land Management in the last decade for wildfire suppression. Just think about that. Again, people can't give me the argument that there isn't enough money for this kind of stuff because we're throwing money around like rice at a wedding. We're throwing money around like snowballs in a playground. We're throwing money around like kids at the mall fountain, chucking quarters and pennies into a pool, making wishes that something sticks. But when I start seeing language of we can't let these people live there because they're too ignorant, we're reaching a point where... You know, language is important. How people say things is very important, and you have to use the definitions to 
understand what they're trying to tell you. And what they're trying to tell you is, you know, we've gotten to a point where we can't let people live there because they're too ignorant. Again, this, it might be true that these people are very, very ignorant. And I know there, there is a lot of ignorance out there. But at what point do you allow adults to be adults and stop the encroachment of more mandates and policy, which if you really just think about it, it won't, it won't solve the issue. There's education is what solves the issue. Neighbors need to come together, have a barbecue and say, Hey, the back of your house is hella overgrown, Jim. Maybe next Saturday we should clear that out. These are the real-world conversations that will have an effect in the communities you live in. Citizens need to start taking action on their own and stop relying on a system that, honestly, is it hasn't been working. It hasn't been working. California's been trying to put together project work and fuels mitigation work for years. They've allocated billions of dollars, and they haven't even finished one project yet. It's a massive problem out in California. People who are in the industry talk about it all the time. It's so much litigation and issues internally with the policymakers that it just doesn't get done. But hey, if you're curious and want to see if your home is in danger of wildfire and is going to burn down in the next 30 years, you can go to the First Street Foundation's website and type in your address and see where your property stands. I have traveled this year over all the United States, through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains, and the Catskills, the Rockies and the Bitterroot Mountains, the Cascades, the Coast Range, and the Sierras. There's been a lot of people reaching out to me in the last couple of days asking about this raise meeting. So I'm going to clarify what I know and what I don't know. So what I know is that an email was sent out to FMOs. I don't know if all FMOs got the email, but I do know that a lot did. I also know that the FMOs that received this email were asked to disseminate this information to all fire resources. I don't know if FMOs who got this email have or have not disseminated this information to all of their subordinates. I know for a fact that this email was widespread in Region 8. There's a lot of people from other regions who are active operational wildfire folks who have said they have not seen anything on these RAIS meetings. What the email said was that on May... 24th and 25th, there was going to be raise meetings discussing classification and what's going on with the pay increases that were promised. I hope that this information gets passed out to as many fire resources as possible, especially before these dates happen. Usually these things take a day or two. And then that information is fully disseminated. I don't know, maybe they're waiting for Friday to drop this on everybody. Maybe they think you're too busy to care or know about this stuff. Maybe there's some FMOs out there that want to listen to the meeting and then we'll disseminate the information that was in the meeting. These are things that I'm not sure about. 
What I do know is that an email went out in Region 8 giving the dates for these meetings, the telephone number, and the access code to enter into these calls. If I get any new information on this stuff, I'll be sure to update everybody and ensure what is discussed is known because it's very, very important. It's what most people care about, and it's their bottom line. And I know a lot of you won't be able to listen. I know some of you just don't even have service. So I'll be sure to figure out what is going on and pass that out to everybody. Again, thank you for all the support from everybody out there, all the paid subscribers. Allows me the time and energy to do this and also allows us to donate thousands of dollars to firefighters in need. And we know that won't stop, so that money will still be donated as needed. Hey, remember, like we discussed, check in on your homies, see how they're doing. Stretch, hydrate. None of you people stretch enough. A lot of you don't hydrate enough. That's fine. I miss stretch days more often than I'd actually like to admit, but I know that it's very, very important. And these old timers that I see who are forest managers and type two operational guys now who didn't stretch, I talk to them and they're just hobbling all over the place and are saying, man, I should have maintained myself. So that's why I stress that quality calories always count. And remember, you got to get up and get it done. (laughs) 